0: Welcome to Planetary Health First, Mars Next. It is an amazing day today. We have a special guest. uh, I guess I could call you. We're we're friends now. We're we're friends and hopefully even better friends after this show. Uh, We have a doctor, Mary O'Connor, and... uh, we're going to be diving deep on why is there so much unnecessary spine and orthopedic surgery. And it's going to be clearly evidence-based. I mean, we're talking Mary, she's the chief compliance officer. So it's got to be on the up and up. She's a chief medical officer at Vori Health. Um, a little bit about her. She's the chair movement is life, which is super cool. I'm sure we'll hear a little bit about that. And she's also very well uh, experienced uh, with credentials. Professor in Mertria of Orthopedics, Mayo Clinic, which I think we've all heard Mayo Clinic. Past professor of orthopedics and rehab at Yale uh, School of Medicine. I'm probably sure you've heard them, too. And the past director, Center for Muscular Skeletal Care at Yale School of Medicine in New Haven which I'm really super excited you're here. And you did a TED Talks uh, promoting health, your secret superpower. So she lives it, does it. When I was able to get with her as we were you know, growing our friendship, she does her health every day active. She is part of her agency of health, and she's a Nordic fan. She does that almost, if she could, seven days a week. So I'm so glad you're here. Enough about me blabbering. Tell us a little bit more if I missed it uh, for our talk today. Great to have you on, Mary.
1: Michael, delighted to be with you and and your viewers and excited to share with you some of the insights that I have from from my years of taking care of patients and working in healthcare systems and how in the company that I'm with now that I've co-founded with Ryan Grant, who's a spine neurosurgeon, uh, we're working to transform the delivery of care to be patient-centered, higher quality, evidence-based, all the things that you and I would want for ourselves and our loved ones.
0: Well, I am super excited because I feel like I try to handpick the perfect, the right guest, the right topics that I'm living and breathing myself. And before uh, we got on the air, I was sharing about this, which that, right there, is something that I do. And I'm sure we were talking uh, earlier, Mary and I were talking, and it's potential that one of our healthcare coaches or one of her physical therapists that works with Vori members might be using this tool to engage agency in many of the other members that are participants with Vivori Health. And so uh, you would think, wow, that's crazy. But it, it it's anyway so Mary where where did what I want to know is how did this begin where did you and dr. Ryan grant start on this journey I mean you know when you started this what was that conversation like and I would say at that time it was almost crazy now it makes sense but tell us tell me about that
1: well um, Ryan and I overlapped when I was at Yale and we both recognize that there are fundamental problems with our healthcare system that are not delivering the kind of care that again that we would want for ourselves for our families and of course that we should want for our patients and and part of this as surgeons we're both surgeons uh, stems from the fact that there's a lot of inappropriate surgeries that are happening in the musculoskeletal world and for For viewers and listeners, musculoskeletal means spine, joints. So you could think of it as orthopedics and spine. And and that's really a challenge. It's bad for patients. It's very costly. And patients are not always getting the best care before surgery. In other words, Ryan and I are surgeons. We know that surgery is the right answer for some patients but we want to make sure that those patients have had good non-surgical care first so that we really know that surgery is the next right step for them because every surgery carries risk and those risks can be really significant. Right? So that's this, the situation where there's unnecessary surgery is so widespread, Michael, and so, Um, disheartening and disturbing that we decided that we were going to work on transforming the model of care delivery to really help address this issue and be patient-centered and drive better outcomes for patients, better value for patients, and for whoever is paying the healthcare cost bill. Because honestly, at the end of the day, we have to recognize that we're all paying for it. Michael, I can't hear you.
0: Yeah, it would help if I'm on off mute. There you go. So anytime I, you know, venture capital, they're looking at a team to invest in, like you guys knock it out of the park, you and Dr. Ron Grant, Mary, with credibility, right? You're surgeons, you know this field. So I think that to me is such a powerful indicator. I love that. And and so you you always you didn't say surgery you said unnecessary so surgery is fine it's just what can we do and 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 you're sharing with us that the healthcare system sadly enough is failing at this so um, I'm really glad that you and uh, took this journey and so tell us tell us what is like some of these unnecessary tell tell us a little more about that what what what's happening right now in the landscape?
1: So so I don't view this as there are villains, right? And I don't think that, that painting different sectors of the healthcare system as the sole culprit of this problem is the right approach. One must recognize that all hospitals and healthcare systems generate their financial margins from surgical patients, procedures, and advanced imaging like MRIs. So there is a financial incentive for hospitals to do lots of surgeries. Now, they need this margin because there's a lot of services they provide for which they're not compensated. And we have to remember that hospitals essentially function as the healthcare safety net in this country. So it's a really complicated situation in terms of when you look at the what's driving it from a financial standpoint. That doesn't, however, make it right. Okay. I mean, I'm just acknowledging it's a complex problem, but that still doesn't make it right. And so we need to evolve the system and we need to provide patients with an opportunity to get better non-surgical care first. Now you say, well, well, what about the surgeons? Are the surgeons bad people because they're doing these inappropriate, unnecessary surgeries? No, I don't I don't demonize them either. We have to recognize that surgeons nowadays are not as well trained as we could be, myself included, on good non-surgical care for spine and orthopedic patients. So there's an education gap. Um, that's one of the issues and surgeons are surgeons, like, remember when you've got a hammer, it's human nature that all the world is a nail surgeons can see patients in a more binary view. You need an operation or you don't need an operation, right? If you don't need an operation, I don't need to keep seeing you, right? Go get, go to the physical therapist and that may help or may not help. And part of the challenge with physical therapy for a lot of patients is cost, out-of-pocket costs and inconvenience. You know, if you go to a physical therapist, you have to drive there, you gotta go to the appointment, you gotta drive back home. I mean, honestly, that's typically like an hour and a half out of your day. You get on virtually in our systems, because we are a virtual nationwide medical practice, your physical therapy session, 30 minutes right? You can do it from home, do it, go in your office. If you're still office-based, close the door. It's much more convenient for patients. And of course, we work with insurers and payers on contracts so that patients don't have co-pays. It's kind of an ideal model for us because we don't want there to be barriers for patients getting the kind of services that we know they need and will help them get better without surgery. So, Another important aspect of our care model is that we incorporate health coaches into this model. So we our model is what we call a biopsychosocial model, because we have to start acknowledging the importance of behavior and behavior change to help patients improve their health. Uh, I'll just give you a, a short example. If I took patients with low back pain, because that is such a common condition, right? Especially as we age. And I did nothing, Michael, but improve the quality of their sleep, I would improve their back pain. Now, honestly, how many times do you think when a patient goes to be seen for low back pain, any doctor, nurse practitioner, any physical therapist, anybody is talking to them and coaching them on how to improve the quality of their sleep? It's, That doesn't happen. No one is coaching them. Let's talk about an anti-inflammatory diet. Let's talk about stress reduction if you have stress in your life. And don't we all have stress? I mean, stress is part of the human condition, right? But nonetheless, these are the things that we leverage in our model because all of these factors is going to help that patient improve. And not just improve their musculoskeletal condition, like in this example, low back pain, but help their health overall. So that's that's really what we're about.
0: Mm-hmm. I love the holistic approach that yeah. you take, and I love the fact that you use health coaches. I love the fact that you're virtual, and uh, I, I imagine you're amassing a really um, – powerful library kind of to empower those coaches. And mm-hmm. then I also want to do a shout out that I think is cool. Um, the Pearl health and Vori health. So Pearl Health and ACO. I think I'd love to, to, uh, you know, I don't want to take us down another thing, but I think the concern I have and why I say that is uh, they have, I don't know how many members they currently um, are overseeing as an ACO or the, I believe it's the ACO reach. Don't want to get too technical in the wood, in in the weeds, but uh, they are part of a provider group. And it seems like if the education piece is there, like I guess the challenge is the onboarding of, you know, Vivori Health to, to, so. Um, tell me a little bit about that, and I'm sorry if I went down a tangent, but I think that's the hardest thing for people to to have that embedded in the primary care and then also partnered in a way. And I, I feel yeah. like, to me, I'm excited about that I'll stop.
1: Okay. So everybody needs a great primary care physician, right? Everybody should have that. Um, And so we love partnering with primary care docs, primary care providers, whether that's a nurse practitioner. And one of the critical things to understand is that most PCPs are not well-educated on musculoskeletal issues. So again, there's this education gap. And so in the normal world, what will happen is you go see your PCP and you've got back pain or knee pain, and then you're being sent for x-rays and images, and then maybe physical therapy. Uh, But you're not actually seeing a physician that has expertise in non-operative therapies. And again, that team that I'm talking about to really help pull all those other levers that are going to help you improve your musculoskeletal condition and your health, right? So so we love working with PCPs. PCPs understand that that we add value to the care of their patients. And of course, we're sharing our clinical notes and really working with that PCP to help that patient.
0: Yeah, well, I, I love that. Um, so what should we be talking about today? What is the most important thing, if you could get out there to our audience about what you're doing at Vori Health?
1: I think the most important thing is for patients to really be seeking um, a more holistic approach that really supports them on their health journey. And certainly that's what our model is. Um, But, you know, even if somebody didn't come to us, I would hope that they would be looking for that type of support wherever they're receiving their healthcare services.
0: I like the holistic approach. I think it's hard. It seems like that's a really hard thing to design, frictionless, Um, and and I'm glad. Uh, that you're you know, using the coach, the healthcare coach. Can you tell me about your process, kind of your start to onboard to, mm-hmm. to how that looks?
1: Yes, and, and I'll make a comment on why it's so hard, right? It's so hard in the, I'll call it the real world of traditional healthcare, because the services are so fragmented, Michael, right? You go to one office to see your PCP, right? You go to another office to see your PT, if you even have the ability to have a health coach, you know where is that health coach located? So it's, it's really driving the convenience of that care for patients. So in our model, patients come in and the first visit that they have is with a physician um, and a physical therapist. And sometimes there could be a nurse practitioner and a physician and a physical therapist. But we are doctor-led because patients still need and I think deserve a diagnosis of their condition by the doctor. And then, of course, we're engaging in all of the other services that we provide to help them with that, what we call a care plan. And one of the things that I love about our care plan is it starts with what matters to you, not what is the matter with you, but what matters to you. So let's say you have back pain, right? But what matters to you? Maybe you want to run a 5K. Maybe you want to walk your daughter down the aisle. I, you know, And so we work towards that goal of getting you to be able to do what matters to you. Eat. Patients need to be motivated to improve their health or their condition, right, whatever their, their problem is. And if you're not motivated, then how are you going to get better? right? If you're not motivated to follow the care plan, then you're not going to improve. I mean, you use that device, you're motivated to use that device because it helps you. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of things like that that are out there, yes, in what I call the non-surgical space that help patients, but it only helps you if you use it.
0: Yeah. And, and, and Mary, I'll say simply, it it helps me because it makes me feel better. (laughs) I have back pain. I have lower back pain. And man, when this gentleman who had several surgeries said, oh my gosh, you have this thing, probably the psoas. I didn't even know what the psoas was. I had to look it up. And so literally that was a lifesaver. So I wonder, are you guys be activating your your VOR, VORI members peer-to-peer? Is there any of that? I just see that there's so much potential on that, like a uh, support group, if you would.
1: Michael, that is a great comment. Yes, we have that on our roadmap. Um, I've learned through the work that I've done with Movement is Life, which you mentioned. Thank you which is a national nonprofit coalition focused on addressing disparities in musculoskeletal health uh, that really creating a community of patients, community of individuals to support each other on our healthcare journey is so effective and, and, and we can each help each other Mm -hmm. by being what I call a health promoter. Mm -hmm. Right? So, you know, if you're going to bring food into the office, make it healthy food, right? If you're going to have a meeting with somebody face to face in person, hey, maybe that can be a walking meeting if the weather's nice outside. Like, why do we have to, why do we have to just sit all the time? So there's, you know, take the stairs instead of the elevator. So there's all kinds of things that we can do individually, but we can support each other to say, hey, Let's take the stairs today instead of the elevator. And so that type of support helps people.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of silver sneakers, which Humana and I I guess a lot of the health plans when I was doing care management, that was like one of the big things. They wanted us to sign members up. And we had a conversation Mm -hmm. about this earlier offline about the importance of lifestyle and getting people engaged just dramatically, and I guess you have the evidence and the data dramatically reduces the uh, healthcare expend or the chronic, uh, you know, could you share a little more about that?
1: Right, so here's our reality in this country and actually across a lot of the world, right? We are a country that is increasingly sedentary and increasingly overweight and obese. And you can look at this, these new um, weight loss drugs that have just come onto the market and, and how they've just exploded in terms of patient demand and use. Now, let's just use that as an example. So great medical science, an innovation, a medication that is gonna help you lose weight Fantastic, kudos. What's the problem? The problem is is that people gain the weight back when they stop using the drug, a huge percentage of them. So unless you're gonna combine use of that drug with improving lifestyles, improving level of physical activity, then you're essentially wasting the dollars that you're spending on the medication, subjecting the patient to side effects of the medication for not really ultimately changing their health, mm-hmm. right? So that's why we incorporate those medications in our program for patients who are obese, but we're, we're combining it with, we need to increase your level of physical activity. And so let's help you address your joint pain or back pain and health coaching and nutrition. Because if you are gonna use those medications And they're going to help you. Great. But let's make sure that the benefit is sustained, which means changing behavior patterns. And for people to do that, Michael, they need help. Mm -hmm. They need coaching. Right. It's Mm -hmm. not like most people don't recognize that they're overweight or obese. They know it. And it's not like they don't want to be less. Most of them do. But they need help in Mm -hmm. changing their behavior. Because behavior change is really hard.
0: I think behavior change, it's to say it's hard, is is like just 10x less of the story. I mean, it is like everything. It is, behavior change is everything in healthcare. And I think when I think of what you, Bori Health um, and where you're moving, that is really where healthcare needs to go. And, uh, and, and so... When you were talking about um, the the earlier about the uh, the you know the need for lifestyle, you know what what are you what do you think is you, you have the healthcare coach, but what what is the really if there is and I know it's so hard to reduce that number one difficulty to to, to, to have sustained behavioral change, but what are those ingredients? that are necessary? And what are you guys trying to do differently to make that happen?
1: So there's been a lot of science around behavior change, right? And we know that in order to change behavior, you have to start with small goals that somebody can achieve, right? With support, right? You can't get there overnight. So we, we focus on specific, measurable, actionable, relatable goals for patients, and then build on that. Here, let's do an example of healthy eating. So our health coaches would say, um, okay, Mary, how many servings of fruit and vegetables do you have a day? And I might say, mm, well, I have an opportunity to improve that, right? And they would say, okay, let's start with you having one or two and and make the change small and then build on it and that and that way you can do it and you can reinforce okay you know what i actually feel better i'm eating healthier i feel better and i can do it you can't just make huge changes immediately that that doesn't work and so that's why all these new year resolutions fail right because people people have these big goals, right? I'm going to go to the gym 5 days a week. And they do that for the first couple weeks and then they fall off. So you yeah. have to you have to have a reasonable goal. You want to make the pathway to achieving that goal as easy as possible. So reduce the barriers. You know, one of the reasons why Well, I enjoy exercising, but one of the things that helps me do consistently exercise is I use that time to watch a show. Mm -hmm. So when I'm on the machine, I've got my iPad, you know, I'm watching a show or a movie that interests me. And so that makes it more enjoyable for me to do it. So you find those things that help people make the change more enjoyable and then you you build on that.
0: Yeah, I love what you're saying. I don't know if the what the behavioral principle is whether it's pairing. I know I've read some different books. I remember they were trying to say about like changing habits, like pairing it with something you're already doing, like every time you brush your teeth, which we hope most people do at least twice a day, but you pair something that you're going to change. I think what you are doing with the Netflix, you you know, you you have an amazing show that you love, so you just pair that with Exercise. So, um, and I love how you say just making it super simple with just you know starting something really simple. You know,
1: correct, correct. Shrink the change, shape the path, um, and then align the emotion, which is, which is actually a book called Switch, which is one of my favorite books by uh, the Heath brothers, Chip and Dan Heath, and and so the emotional part is really important, right? You have to get your emotional self, your heart aligned with what your brain is telling you to do. So for some patients that again, I'll go back to our care plan. That's why we start with what matters to you, because what matters to you is what is in your heart, right? Your emotion Mm -hmm. and that's what you need to really sustain behavior change.
0: Yeah if you're not intrinsically motivated by something, you're probably not going to get much behavioral results at it. So I love that, um, part in talent acquisition or hiring, try to figure out what a person innately loves to do. And if that's aligned with, you know, then you're not, they're not working. I mean, of course there's work we have to do, but if someone's interested in X, Y, Z, they're going to be very productive, you know? And so, um, you know that delight in what you do. What I'd like to just change topics really quick because you are a company. You're raising capital. You have obviously talking about goals. What's on your map for 2024 for Vori Health? What would you like to see, uh, you know, happen this year? What is happening this year? You got great news.
1: Yeah, we're um, we're growing. Uh, we have many new contracts that are going live uh, that now, January of 2024. So that's very exciting because, you know, our goal is to empower humanity to lead healthier lives. So, uh, so I'm, I'm living the dream, Michael, you know, I'm transforming the delivery of musculoskeletal care, something I've been passionate about my entire career. And, you know, I recognize that in order to do this, I had to step out of the traditional system. Um, so there we go. I mean, we're, we're growing anybody out there that's interested, just reach out to me. Um, we recognize the need for payers and insurers to not just provide great services and care to their members, but also to control costs. Because again, I go back to, we might think that it's the insurance company that's just paying the bill. But at the end of the day, that is reflected back to the patient or the member in higher out-of-pocket costs, higher deductibles. And we know that medical debt is a huge reason for bankruptcy, for personal bankruptcy mm-hmm. in this country.
0: 67%, I think I just looked at it.
1: Right, so like, what are we, what are we mm-hmm. doing, yeah. right? This is not yeah. working for the country. It's not working for families and working class families, right? They, they're living paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, we, we've got to support healthcare in a, in a more sustainable patient centered and value driven way for everyone in the system and keep patients at the center of all that we do. That is our moral compass, and we and we can't lose that. Now, yeah. at the same time, this is one of my favorite Mayo Clinic quotes, right? Remember, <laughs> I was at Mayo Clinic for a, a long time. So there was a nun, remember, Mayo was run by the good sisters for many, many decades, probably over a hundred years. So Sister Generos was the last nun who ran one of the big hospitals at Mayo Clinic Rochester where I trained. And she has a famous quote, no margin, no mission. Meaning, if you're not making a financial margin, you can't keep your doors open to serve patients. However, people will often forget the second part of her quote, which is no mission, no need for margin. So if your mission is not to serve your community and patients, you don't need to make money. No margin, no mission, but no mission, no need for margin. So we recognize you have to be financially viable or you can't take care of people. But at the same time, your mission has to be to serve the community and to serve your patients. It's
0: like so the we... hypocr- it's the, the oath that you, you swear as a physician. I mean, really.
1: Right. So we, we stay true to that at Vory Health.
0: That, you know, I, I I love that you shared what is, unfortunately, we don't hear the other part. We, we hear like no margin, no mission, but you really unpacked what we really need to hear more of because it's really the mission. If you don't have a real mission to serve and do, you know, that's what healthcare really is to make, to heal, right? Um and so I have a weird, like a question that I'm sure you or your co-founder would know because you guys are super wicked smart. What is the percentage of surgeries that go south? And let's just t- take back. It seems like everyone that has a back surgery is not just had one. They're like, my gosh, I'm on. So, uh, I, and I don't want to be a nasty person, but just what is that number? Just that, you know, on from your data.
1: Okay. So we know that about half, 50% of low back surgeries are inappropriate or unnecessary. So that's just a shocking number just in and of itself. And that again, goes back to patients are not getting adequate non-surgical care. Some patients are looking for the quick fix, right? Just do an operation on me, make me better. And- and sometimes and again, like Ryan and I are not anti-surgery. We're both surgeons. We're just anti-inappropriate surgery. But if you look at patients that have had low back surgery, five to seven percent of them are back in the operating room for a second operation within a year. That is just I I I, I find that number just so incredulous. It's so shocking to me that I I'm surprised every time I say it.
0: That's huge. Five to seven percent, almost, you know, ten percent. I mean, a half, you know, but just yeah. But I, but I feel like anecdotally, I've, I've come across people that have like had like are you three to four back surgeries, and they're just it just sounds that to me is the biggest motivator for me. When I hear that, I don't know, what is that loss aversion? What is that behavioral thing for me, never to want to get surgery, hearing that, to do everything and anything that I can to not do that? I mean, what? what? Michael, because you're,
1: because, well, first of all, kudos to you, because that is the right mindset to have, right? You want to try and avoid surgery as long as it is reasonably possible to do so. One of the challenges, particularly with patients with back problems, is they get an MRI, and MRIs are amazing. Okay, like MRIs were developed during the span of my medical career, and it's it huge, huge innovation. The challenge is that everybody who's older, (laughs) all right, I'll say over (laughs) thirty-five. Okay.
0: So we're included in this.
1: (laughs) right? Everybody who's, quote, older that gets an MRI of their spine, guess what? There's something abnormal on it because our bodies change, our bodies age, and we know that there is a surprisingly high lack of correlation between what you see on the MRI and actually why the patient's having pain. But when you go to see the spine surgeon, you have back pain, they look at your MRI and there's something abnormal on it. Then there's a surgical target. There's something Mm -hmm. I can say to you. Oh, Michael, you have back pain because you have a herniated disc. Your disc is herniating or you have arthritis. Okay. And I, and we can address that. We can fix it by doing an operation. For some patients, again, that's the right thing. But for a lot of patients, they could improve without surgery. Mm -hmm. Now, are you ever going to have a back that's the spine that you had when you were 20 or 18? No, but you know what? Surgery is not going to give you that either, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. Nobody's going to be able to give you the spine or the knee joint or whatever that you had when you were young. Mm -hmm. So again, it's looking at all these factors and understanding that we need to do a better job of helping patients improve without surgery and using surgery as the tool when it's appropriate. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Wow. Well, this is, I'm so glad you said yes and came on.
1: Oh, well, my pleasure.
0: It's been so great. And I know, uh, thanks for having patience, for me going all over the place. and um, But we did have a focus, a good topic, uh, and we covered a lot of ground today. I would hope that you find this valuable and, and as well, importantly, I hope, our listeners do as well.
1: Absolutely. And again, you can go to our website, voryhealth.com. Um, reach out. We're here to, we're here to help all of your listeners.
0: Awesome. Well, it has been an amazing time today, having Dr. Mary O'Connor, the co-founder of Vory Health, who's super well-trained and knows everything orthopedic surgery and says, Hey, why don't you take a second thought on that? Let's give you Vori Health. Let's go through everything with our health coaches. Do everything you need to have done to then see if surgery is the right way to go. But before that, Vori Health first. And until next time, friends, make it a great journey with us on Planetary Health. And uh, peace be with you and a great rest of this year.